Welcome to episode 37 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to talk about graduating with a design degree. Let's continue the conversation. You know what? You should just let me do that one day and don't put the music in. Hi, welcome back, everybody. My name is Jose Valcarcel, and I am here with Ray Peña. Greetings. And Claudia Barrigan. Hola. <laughs> I got it right this time, and you are listening to Maid. Um, we're back. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Good? Yeah, fairly well. Yeah, it's, uh, we're recording post-4th of July, but it was a good 4th of July for you guys? Um, just was work for me. Uh, so yeah. yeah that's true that's what it is yeah. that was bad we went camping real quick for we just did like an overnight camping thing a hike and a, a hike and a camp yeah hike and a camp with the dog, like to, with both the dogs and the cats no no just the no, dogs just the dog. we, we left the cats overnight we just gave them a lot of food you know that's a good thing about cats they take care of themselves you know yeah in but, fact uh, I think that cats don't even really want you home yeah. No, these cats are very needy, well, actually. Very, are they? Like, for <laughs> some reason, we... Uh, yeah, that's because they're young still. Give them another six months, a year. I think it's us. We somehow make our pets very needy. Huh. Yeah, yeah they're very codependent. Even though there's two of them, you'd think they'd just be dependent on each other. Yeah. But yeah, they're just very needy. Very, yeah. very needy cats. No, mine, no matter how much I beat them, they still they still come over. <laughs> and I, I do beat them pretty good, but they just keep on coming. Yeah. You say that, but I've seen <laughs> pictures of you sleeping with a cat in your belly. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, my cat likes to be held. When when we go to sleep, I got to actually hold her. Well, it's not because I want to, but because she won't let it be any other way. And, like, uh, she has to get between uh, my wife and I. Has to always be between, and then I have to put my arm around her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of our cats, just, like, in the middle of the night, she'll come over and show us and one petting. Yeah, but she doesn't just rub herself and she licks you. Oh, that's the worst. And if you've ever been licked by a cat, that tongue yeah. is just like sandpaper. Yeah, so. and and of course, if you don't know about cats, what they like to do is they'll lick their butts first, and then they'll get up there and lick you after they've licked their butt. Yeah, yeah. that's the best. No, yeah. it's, it's not the best. <laughs> we should do a, an episode on what pets best to have for a maker or something. Yeah. I would think a wood a woodpecker will be handy. Maybe a beaver. I could use a beaver. Yeah. We you know we saw a beaver when we were camping on the on the hike. Which oh yeah, the there was a freak yeah. or yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you've never seen one, the first time you see a beaver, they are a lot bigger than you think. This one was oh, actually one was quite. A baby. This one was quite oh, small. Oh, a little one. It must oh. have been a baby. Yeah, it's a yeah, tiny little one. Yeah. Must I mean must have been a baby of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, cool. So that's enough bantering for for this. <laughs> um, we're going to do some news, and then we're going to go to our main topic. So let's just get to some, I think, some fun news stories, a bit silly. So let's go to that. Uh, 
Alright, let's uh, talk some news real quick. Uh, the first story, it's funny because I put this on here and I think, you know, for the three of us it's a bit silly. But um, I guess Home Depot, and, and I've never heard of was it Menards? Menards, yeah. Menards, I've never heard of it, are getting sued about lumber size. Yeah. Now I know when it comes to the three of us, like we know the difference between nominal and actual wood lumber size. Yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. We know that, yeah, we know that when you buy a 2 by 4 you're not really getting a 2 by 4 um, but this was, I mean, it was funny to me at first, but then it got me thinking like, yeah, a lot of people wouldn't learn that, right? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't learn that in school or while working. So <laughs> I guess it's, it's weird that any lawyer would take on this kind of lawsuit. But what do you guys think of this story? <laughs> um, I am not surprised that a lawyer took this lawsuit. I think, yeah. I think a lawyer yes, sought out this particular lawsuit. That's yes. <laughs> I think they did it on purpose because uh, maybe they themselves went to buy a piece of wood that they've never seen wood before. They don't know what, what it is. <laughs> you know, they're too busy lawyering it up in their with library. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go build a deck with one two by four. Let me go get one two by four. And they go there and then they find out that, Oh, it's not the, it's not what I thought it was. There is a lawsuit opportunity. I, I honestly feel that that's how it was. Then they paid a group to do a survey where they went to all these um, retail outlets and they had they just surveyed random people and now they had data that they can go and file a lawsuit against. You know, so I, I don't. This is the equivalent of the ambulance chaser lawyer, is, is my feel about it. Because you know, you and you're right. We are familiar with this, and in fact. Uh, one of the uh, classes we took when we talk about wood construction, you, we even cover all the, the differences in, in dimensional sizes between uh, nominal and dressed. I mean, this is, that's what it is, dressed lumber. Mm -hmm. uh, so right. it's not a big surprise. But even before that, the very first time you go buy a 2x4, for whatever reason, whatever you're doing, you quickly, immediately figure it out. Oh, you know what? This is not 2 inches. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. What do you think about it, Claudia? No, I agree with Ray 100%. And I, I hang out with lawyers more often than I thought I would. And you admit that? You admit that? And I admit that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Notice that I said that I thought I would. Yeah. I, I appreciate lawyers. I think I, I'm, I'm becoming pretty like argumentative in, in that sense. Becoming. Becoming. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of people actually think that I that that I you know like that I'm a trained lawyer, um, but that's or, not a or a paralegal, right? It's not a compliment. No, that's not a compliment. But I agree with you. I mean, I think definitely. And you know, when they surveyed, I mean, I didn't. You went to the level of saying like they actually go went ahead and surveyed. I mean, they don't have to go too far, right? They could just get a friend of theirs to to say, hey, this is or an acquaintance to say, well, this is an issue because, you know, that right at the end it says like, oh, no, we didn't actually um, look for anybody. They, the, the clients came directly and freely to us to, to pursue this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason was <laughs> earlier on, Jose was like, why are you, why are you searching for AT&T? Um, so earlier this week I received a check for 70, $71 or something like that mm -hmm. from AT&T. And it came out of nowhere. It was like, what? first of all, yay, this is a check. Um, but apparently it was a lawsuit. It was also um, a um, one of those like class major action. lawsuits, class action yeah, lawsuits that were there. And it's basically 
AT&T were charging its customers $10 extra for um, unlimited texting, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't have been te- uh, charging people for it. Right. right. So the average refund that came up about was $31. And since we're no longer with AT&T, that's where we receive the check. Other people just receive it as credit. But what was interesting is that I never even saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I didn't, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, we got really tired of AT&T, as a matter of fact. And that's why we decided to change and flip. Um, because we really weren't getting much from it. But it's interesting how these, like, class actions happen and and their impact. And also, just the, the fact that these large companies have the money to give. Yeah, okay. No, I mean, and I agree with all that. And I, and I know why this suits happen. I mean, but the one that you're bringing up is clearly something they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing. But what, what we're talking about with this lawsuit of Home Depot, we're talking about an industry standard. So, like, I would think all it would take a lawyer would be, like, a five-minute research seeing, okay, this is an industry industry standard. Mm-hmm. It's not Home Depot like, deciding yeah. I'm going to cut my lumber slightly smaller and rip you off money. Yeah. And then it'd be like, no, we can't sue for this. No, but they're not selling. I mean, if, if Home Depot's primary and only, specifically only um, clientele was industry, I would agree with I would agree with you guys, but they're not. They Home Depot's clientele is just the average Joe who doesn't know anything about industry, yeah. right? So they're basically saying, "Hey, this is labeled as something, and you're not giving me that." Yeah. So this is mislabeled. And that's their exact angle. Their angle is false advertising. They don't yeah. care if it's an industry. They don't care if it's been like this for the last seventy years. They don't care. They're going by that angle of false advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think there's no way they can win this. I yeah. think they're gonna win it. I, I, think, I think it'll probably that. settle. You know, the, the yeah, that's true. Home that's, Depot says, you know what? We're just tired of this. We're spending have the money. You know, a hundred thousand no, dollars on lawyers, and we're just gonna settle it. But here's why they can't settle, though, right? Because they settle with this. The next, but you know what? The next lawsuit's coming is yeah, is of course, concrete block, right? Concrete block is not yeah, it's not the size that it's supposed to be. It's seven and five eighths. It's not yeah. eight inches. And neither are bricks, you know. Neither so are bricks. Every not, every building right. material has the compensation in it. Right. Yeah, but see, I see. Okay, so I do a lot of language access um, uh, policy, like and, and advocacy, and what that means is basically like you know having uh, translated <laughs> items throughout uh, service in city government agencies and stuff like that. One of the best examples that I always use is Home Depot, mm-hmm. that they do their work when it comes down to their their, their signage. Mm-hmm. If you go to a Home Depot that is in a predominantly um, uh, immigrant neighborhood, you will see everything in that store has is written in, in both languages, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, is like the point that I'm trying to make is that they know their stuff. They have gotten their standard their standards to the point of like making one quick change is easy for them to do. After the settlement, they're going to easily make a, one little sign somewhere that says, you know, the, 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 the dimensions on, on all of our lumber products or construction products are following industry standards or something like that. And then they're basically going to write a disclaimer really quick. And that's going to prevent any other lawsuits from this uh, to pop up. But they will settle. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they should. I, I, mean, I don't I think, think they should either. I think you're right. It'll open up um, <laughs> right. I, problems I think later you, on. Yeah, I think you go to court and you just you you, you start calling. Yeah. Cons- like, 
you know, lumber people, you start calling construction people to the stand and talk about how this is the standard size. If you didn't know that, that's on you. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> like if I decide to sue Brita because I didn't change my Brita filter or whatever. That, that, that's There's on a me. disclaimer, though. There's but you know a disclaimer what? On the Brita when you look thing. at other building materials and you mentioned uh, concrete blocks they're you know, they say, oh, they're eight inch blocks or six inch blocks or four inch blocks. Right. We know that they're talking about the, the depth, not the height, because the height remains eight inches. And it's not like you said, not eight inches. It's seven and five eighths. Right. They're always accommodate three eighths uh, mortar joint. But when you're talking about rebar, you're going to say, oh, it's a number eight rebar. If you don't know how rebar is sized, you have no idea what a number eight rebar is. So that these building materials require a certain amount of knowledge Mm -hmm. for you to purchase and use them. You know, so uh, and Claudia, I don't know if you remember that. You remember what a number eight rebar is? very like no. <laughs> yeah, no, you know when you started talking, I I dozed off into the, <laughs> the into the into technical into, slumberland. No, I mean, technical slumberland, but also specific situation like instance with Ray teaching me about electric wire. Oh, that's right. I remember that. That was for and your going light, to Home Depot. That was yeah, your light going box, to Home Depot. Yep, for my yeah. light box. Yeah. And, oh, and then you explaining to me how, like, where the coding was, like, the, the numbers and what they meant at each. And I was like, well, well that's orange, that's white, that's yellow. Oh, the gauges. <laughs> like, no. yeah. yeah, for the gauges. So, I, I see, I would, I, like, the only, like, again, I'm, I, I'm, I, who knows if they're going to go through it with, with this thing or not. But I agree with you in that YouTube if they all, all they have to do is show like YouTube channels that explain and tell people, yeah, like exactly that. Like, hey, here if you're putting up a wall and you have a two by four, this is that's actually not the case. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's common knowledge, I guess. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, and I don't agree with that. I don't think it is common knowledge. Like, I think we see it as common knowledge because we've worked in this field. We were educated in this field. So, no, I don't think it's common knowledge, but I do think it's an industry standard that no matter what store you go to, if you go by a two by four, you're going to get one and a half inches by three and a half inches. Yeah. That's what you're going to get. It's not a Home Depot thing. It's not this other store that I don't remember the name yeah. of. Menards. It's an in- Menards. Yeah, it's an industry standard. How can yeah. you sue a store for an industry standard? Yeah. You can't. Or it's like <laughs> like you say, oh, I need a six, I need 16 penny nails. Right. You know, you're, if, you, if you don't know what a 16 penny nail is, you probably shouldn't be buying nails. You know, you shouldn't be walking in there. Or, you know, a number eight screw. I mean, everything has a certain nomenclature surrounding mm-hmm. uh, surrounding it from years and years of established practice. And the reality is, wood, even though, like, you go to, you go to, you know, they use Home Depot, you go to the hardware store and you buy a piece of wood, a two-by-four, wood is actually not bought and sold by the piece that way. It's bought and sold by the board foot. Right. That is... Technically, how it is it is sold mm-hmm. if you're buying any quantity of wood. You don't buy it by the piece. So it, it is the entire uh, industry. It's not really designed for your average consumer that may not have seen a two-by-four before. So right. I think it's kind of weird that they are, they're going through this angle instead of saying, oh, yeah, you know what? This is just the way things are. <laughs> um and then, you know, of course, they want to solve the problem by filing a lawsuit. Right. I think, to me, it's not you're not going into Walmart, you're going to Target. If you're going into a Home Depot or an Ace or a hardware store of some kind, it is upon 
you to educate yourself as to what you need, what you yeah. need to buy, and the sizes of it. Yeah. Again, and then you look at YouTube. You just watch some YouTube channels, right. and then yeah. you're, you're learning. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. I think it's a frivolous, and I think they should fight it, and I think they should just give in on this, because it's just going to open up the floodgates to a whole bunch of other lawsuits. Yeah. Well, it's like if you say, oh, I need to go buy a window. You go to the, you go to the, the big box store, and there are 80 windows there. Is it their fault that you choose the wrong size? It's not. It's not their fault, yeah, right? It's not their fault. Is their fault you pick a window that doesn't comply with the codes in your <laughs> in your jurisdiction? No. And so it's it's it is. I I, I agree with you. Frivolous and ridiculous. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Welcome, lawyers. <laughs> yeah. And if you're a lawyer, I, just, I, well, I definitely don't want to hear from you. <laughs> I just. I mean, what I would like to hear if, if somebody has a different angle where they think yeah. that they, these guys are going to win this lawsuit. I just don't see how you win this, but I guess that's never stopped anybody. So. No, you're absolutely right. And they're going to try to uh, reduce it to the least common denominator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, this illiterate person on the street that has never seen a piece of wood wouldn't know what that means. And of course, that's not the target market either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they'll do. They try to they try to switch things around, make it confuse it, you know? Right. I think you mean an illiterate person walking like... <laughs> going into Home Depot, who usually deals with wood, they'll know. Well, that's the thing of it all. I think yeah. that they would have a better chance of knowing than I bet some of the people that go into the Home Depot and buy this stuff to try yeah. and do it themselves because they saw, a, they saw a show on HGTV and I was like, oh, I'm going to go do that. You know yeah. what? That is an excellent point. We should reach out to Home Depot and say, look, you need to line up people who are in construction and completely illiterate mm -hmm. yeah. so, so that they cannot... Say, oh, people are not going to know this. This person can't even read the damn sign, and he'll tell you what size it is. Yeah. Like people that don't speak English. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. That was my you. point. That was yeah. like my, total, yeah. my, my biggest yeah. point. Like that's what – and Home Depot knows how to do that very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's their clientele. Yeah. Cool okay. story, though. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I, thought it, I thought it was interesting. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's go to an even more interesting story. And this is the 3D printed prosthetic third thumb <laughs> – uh, we had a little bit of discussion about this before we started. Uh, what what do you think about the story, Claudia? <laughs> I thought it was really dumb. <laughs> I was like, seriously, this guy is not missing another thing. <laughs> right, that was your first thought. You thought it was that okay, this person is missing a thumb. Yeah. So here's a, a prosthetic for just the thumb. Yeah. So there's a video, and then the video, like the image, the the still image of it. You know, I'm sitting there counting his thumb, his his fingers. You know, I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, where's his thumb? Okay. <laughs> Right. Um, so for people that don't know, so this is not a thumb replacement, it's an extra thumb in your hand. So you would end up with six digits instead of five. Yeah, like when in the article it says, it's absolutely unnecessary stuff. And I love it. Because mm. <laughs> that's, that's basically what it is. It's unnecessary. Now, it's kind of cool, but I, I just don't see the need. I mean, I think it's just, it, it takes away from those that really need prosthetics. Okay. And that's what bothers me about it. Mm -hmm. What do you think about it, Ray? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it takes away from uh, any group. I think the people who need prosthetics still have... Because, you know, an actual prosthetic has to be carefully fitted and is custom made. So that mm -hmm. group is still has the, that access to that um, uh, those prosthetics. I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, I've always... Fancied the idea of a third arm. Man, mm -hmm. how handy would it be to have a third arm? 
Mm -hmm. uh, practically every single day. Every mm -hmm. single day I could sure use a third arm. Um, but then, you know, I, I feel like I would be lopsided because that arm will probably be like below the other arm. So I would mm -hmm. actually need four arms, which will be much handier. Because <laughs> a, th a third arm would just not, you, you wouldn't be symmetrical, but four arms would be great. So I think this concept of having a thumb, uh, you know, directly opposite your other thumb you know what it's a fantastic idea and i i hope i live long enough to see the ability to genetically engineer that because i am all for an actual <laughs> genetically engineered <laughs> uh, yeah another thumb on both hands and have six fingers that'd be fantastic but seeing how we are way far away from that um i like the this concept i think that it has a lot of potential it's a good stepping stone um for moving beyond replacement parts because you know we've been doing a lot of replacement parts for years um and now we're augmenting you know it's human augmentation with additional parts <laughs> and people yeah, that's, that's pretty good that that's kind of how i saw it yeah yeah like i, I saw it you know i it, it's like evolution mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. maybe maybe you don't believe in evolution and if you don't please turn off the podcast now yeah because <laughs> <laughs> Walk this is away. not the place for you. Good. Um, <laughs> but it's it's sort of like the next step on evolution, right? Like how we've evolved to a certain degree. At some point, does it not become us that has to sort of drive that? And this is sort of that step, right? It's sort of a mechanical way. Like when people wear Google Glass, while I look at them funny, that's not that much different than this. Is that still around? Think about it. It's still around. I've seen people with it. Yeah. Oh. Um, I think they stopped making it, but I think the, the original ones are still out there. But it's that idea, right? It's the idea of enhancing the human form. Yeah. Whether it's Google Glass or it's an extra thumb or it's like a cybernetic eye or whatever. Oh, yeah, that'd be so cool. I would love that. See, I will I'd... take it to the next level, though. You guys are like, you know, just like you said for Home Depot, mm -hmm. this could open up the floodgates for stuff that you don't want. Uh, you know, other types of limbs that you don't necessarily need. Yeah, I kind of want a tail. You know, like, yeah, you a have tail. tail will be perfect. A tail, like yeah. a monkey's tail. Absolutely. Yes. Because that solves the issue of your extra third arm, right? It if you have be. it in the tail, it still keeps you in balance and you could use it like a, like yeah. a monkey's tail. Yeah. And like nobody would fall. Anytime you'd exactly. fall, you'd grab onto the, the nearest thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. So that that's like... This is like, is this only a male thing, by the way? Like, no, I don't know. That's the other thing that I'm wondering. Like, you know, because we, like, women get, you know, augmentations all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong about, with that. Yeah, nobody looks at it. Well, I mean, I guess at first it was looked at as a bit weird, but not anymore. It's very commonplace. Or even uh, all the body modification stuff, you know, mm -hmm. people are getting yeah. their ears in, uh, enlarged. Have you seen anybody with a split tongue yet? Uh, I no. only on TV, thankfully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you know, yeah. personally, I don't care. That's their body. They want to cut off whatever right. they want to cut off. That's fine with me. Mm. But people uh, have been modifying themselves mm -hmm. for aesthetic reasons. Uh, have you seen the horns? I've yet? seen the horns. The yeah. horns. And so the... there's uh, now you can change the color of your eyes. Oh yeah, that's handy. Yeah. That's that's real practical. Yeah. yeah. So, right. yeah. so for me, yeah, let's risk blindness just so you can change the color of your eye. Um, <laughs> but for me, this it, this is much more practical, although not in its current stage. But I see a lot of potential to evolve mm -hmm. into something much more practical. Right. 
Yeah, fine. Yeah, you guys have sold me on it. Sold you on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Tell, tell the people what your your first thought was when you saw it earlier, and Ray was like, "No, I kind of like it." What did you say? Oh, about Ray? Yeah, yeah, the fact that you know, like someone like Ray, yeah, I could see I could see this being beneficial to him because you know the likelihood of him like losing one of his thumbs or one of his fingers is pretty big. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I literally worry about that, you yeah, know? You like, see it more like a decoy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if, the, if the saw is going to take one, take the fake um, one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not how saws work. No. No. <laughs> All right. But very cool. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It's 3D yeah. printed. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do one more story. And this is uh, the self-assembling cube by MIT. Excuse me. To edit that out. Uh, what do you guys think about the self-assembling cube? Uh, Ray, what do you think about it? I thought it was the neatest thing I've seen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, different things on like micro robots. Mm. Um, even s small robots you can swallow. Uh, and then deploying your digestive system. You know, they're they're experimental. They're, nothing is in, in use right now. But the idea that you can make a machine so simple that can rearrange itself. It has, you know, it's a basic building block. You can program it. And then it can re go ahead and rearrange itself into whatever useful um, a shape or object that, that uh, you need. Um, I thought was an incredible um, leap into this field. Now... As they are, they're not particularly useful. Right. Um, but I think that having discovered or or developed a way to make these things assemble and reassemble, because that's really the key, right? It, mm -hmm. it can take itself apart, put it back to put itself together, rearrange itself in any multiple kind of ways. That this basic part of it, they seem to have really kind of developed it without any external moving parts. I thought that was fa fascinating. Uh, that they can actually move it using uh, basically like an inertial drive. So, and of course, in different directions. So, you can imagine in a few years, you can make these individual blocks actually useful items like cameras, sensors, um, uh, even that actually do some kind of work. Maybe one blows air, maybe one is a vacuum, maybe one has a extendable arm. Yeah, and then you can start rearranging them into these useful machines. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I see a, a huge potential in its current form. It's, you know, kind of primitive um, right. uh, for any practical use. But I think the it is a beautiful concept, and I think it's got huge potential. Claudia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think at first when I was watching the video, it's just like, all right, this is really cool. But but then what's what's the purpose of this? Because just for someone like me, like I, I just didn't see it. But... Then I read a little bit more about it from the MIT News website. And um, one of the things that they're saying is like, uh, you know, eventually later on, just like Ray mentions, they could use it uh, for, you know, as an army of mobile cubes that could repair bridges or build something or build like some structures during emergencies where people can't actually get there first. Or, you know, like things that are really hard to reach. And these these cubes or whatever form they would take using this technology could be that that um, robot almost right. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. Or like assemble furniture. That's the other thing that other other option that they give. Um, but inaccessibility, 
of a task and this could actually help with that i thought that was like that once i read that then then i i understood it a little bit more in terms of like all of the potential that this has and the fact that it's it's a, it's been figured out mm. and how positive that is and that's that's great and it's moving things forward so i thought that was pretty cool yeah um, i think i agree i when i first saw that first one like it's kind of like a toy type of thing. It's not, you know, it wasn't the most interesting at first. But when you think, if you think about it more of a sort of proof of concept of something you can do with sort of this technology, this software, you know, you can apply this to nanotechnology later on. You can, you can imagine yourself doing things um, that you only see in sci-fi movies right now, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a piece of furniture that can change from a table to a chair or, or whatnot. You know? Yeah. And of course, it, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, you know, it's easy to just look at it and dismiss it because it's not particularly useful at its current stage. Right. But, I, but you know, it's like everything. It's a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I think if they, they, when they figure out how to make those blocks smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, that assembling them um, becomes much more useful. And you can, like you said, you can make it, the smaller the building block, the easier it is to turn it into anything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can you can imagine this being applied in at the atomic level, even you know, and then you start rearranging molecules and things like that. Yeah. That's what this could one day be. So. And then that'll bring you the closest you you'll ever be to your replicator. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If or you're the rearranging, thumb that can become the the tail. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, you're the cooking. Thumb or the tail. Yeah. <laughs> good old thumb, thumb tail. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so very cool. Very cool uh, design. Very cool um, story. Um, yeah, so let's uh, that's it for news. That's all I got for news. Let's jump to our main topic. All right, so we're going to get to our main topic now. Um, so our main topic really has to, you know, kids graduated from both high school and college the, the last couple of weeks. I think some schools might still be in, I don't know. Um, no, they're all out. They're all out? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with when it's with summer being here and all the graduation have taken care of, having or having passed. I thought we'd talk a little bit about when you're graduating, you know, and there's two articles that I that I found. One talks about a new year, new career, alternatives to architecture, um, because we're all graduated with architecture degrees. But the other one was by the Huffington Post, which talks about, you know, congratulations, you have the, you have a design degree, now what, right? Um, so I figured we'd talk a little bit about options people have with a design degree, both in general and from architecture. We sort of talked a little bit about, you know, alternatives to a uh, traditional architecture career before. But uh, I guess let's start briefly with, you know, each one of us gives a little background into our schooling and where we came from. I, I figured that'd be a good place to start when you start, right? Um, okay, so, uh, you know, in fact, I met the two of you in architecture school. That's where we actually met. Um, right. So uh, my own personal background, you know, I had my uh, five-year degree, um, which is the, the minimum standard to, to even get a job in architecture. 
uh, in, in architectural design. And before that, though, I had been doing furniture design as what I would call an uninitiated design uh, designer. And I say uninitiated because when I look back, I look at some of the things I was making and designing, and uh, the decisions I was, I was making were all arbitrary. Because as I was in design school and even afterwards, my decisions were, were changing tremendously. And the design of, of whatever it was, if it was, you know, a portfolio or a website or uh, not to say that I'm a, I'm a proficient web designer, but I think that some of that architectural design training transfers over to the website as well. Uh, but, you know, into my furniture. Uh, so, I, you know, as far as the education concern is concerned, I saw it transmit into other aspects. Um, but uh, my own my own personal feeling when on the day I graduated, the day I graduated, it wasn't even the day I graduated, it was my last day of class. The very last day, uh, it was, you know, the, the design critique is always what takes the longest. Right. right. It was done and they said, oh, congrats, you know, they basically, at that point, you know, they, they congratulate you and they say you're done and, and you're just waiting for the diploma later. Right. Uh, at that moment, and this, I know it sounds weird, but at that moment is when uh, I got that feeling that, it, you know, is right in the article, that question. Now what? Mm-hmm. Now what? And it was within that, that, that moment that there was an epiphany, and that is that the only thing I really learned, when you think about it, uh, in design school was how to go to work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Because uh, at that moment, when you realize now what now what I've got to do, I got to get a job, and I got to do three years of internship. You kind of realize that you don't know enough. You don't really know enough to do anything on your own. Right. But so like you're just starting still. Yeah. After five years, you are you are at the beginning. You're you're at the starting line. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Claudia? Tell us a little bit about your, uh, tell everybody, I guess, a little bit about your school background. Yeah, sure. Um, just really quick, though, I've, I'm really glad we're talking about this because I, I know, I, like, in the last two weeks, I've received, um, like, a, an email or a call from a friend of mine who wanted um, myself and maybe Jose and maybe even Ray to talk to um, a friend of theirs who's thinking of going into architecture. And the reason why uh, this friend of mine called me, he was like, I know you you do design and that's like within your profession, but you have taken it to a different level or like not a different level. You you do other things other than the traditional architecture um, experience or profession. And that's why I wanted you to talk to him. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, I also have other friends of mine that um, are in school right now. And, are, you know, they're like uh, Aaron is one of them. And he like just recently just texted me, you know, like really quickly. He's like, hey, you know, what can I, you know, does this look good on my resume? And, you know, like he sent it to me really quick and I, you know, give him some tips and then moved on. And it's one of those things that like, and helped him move on and, you know, like he's advancing in, in his studies. What's really interesting though, to me is that um, my path per se wasn't directed at architecture. Although when I was in high school, like I knew I wanted to be an architect. Um, I just didn't get into architecture school to the, to the low cost public university architecture school. So to me, architecture has always been an unattainable goal because of money. 
Um, so, but in that process of trying to attain it, like, you know, chase after a design degree or an architecture degree, I realized so much about myself that I, you know, like, so my path was not straightforward. I went through two different degrees. Um, my master's is not in architecture. Mm. Um, and I worked for like at least 12 years in architecture, in architecture firms. Um, you know, like looking at this article, you know, the now what, my choice was to work for a a large architecture firm and be that design consultant. And I was an urban design consultant. And even to this day, whenever I try to explain it to really smart people, again, as I mentioned, I talk, I, I, I hang out a lot with lawyers these days. Okay, that's, that's a huge assumption right there. <laughs> that's a massive <laughs> assumption. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or with other people, but you know, like people yeah. who are not in the, in the, in the built construction professions are architects, engineers, you know, who like, who we're used to talking to, they still don't get it. They still don't quite understand what is what it is to be a design consultant or to work for a firm in architecture and be a designer. Uh, for for my in my case, an urban planner. The other thing is, um, so just a, a little bit more about myself. Like once I graduated, it, it was that it was like, well, I have all of these skill sets, not just within what I learned um, from architecture school and all the classes that I took from that, but also from my other career, like, you know, f having a, a, an undergrad in, in business and in arts and humanities, like, you know, knowing how to write, knowing um, so many different things, so many other tools, like, like what do I do now with all of these tool sets? And I went into a landscape architecture firm. You know, that was really interesting too, because it was, it was nothing about, you know, like straightforward built environment or buildings it was more of about the connection between the buildings and the community and that set my path into what I do even now which is urban planning urban development mm. urbanism so yeah cool. um, yeah I think for myself I um, I think similarly to I guess a couple of you guys I, I didn't necessarily start with the idea that I was going to go be an architect right off the bat I Got into high school and my freshman, my, f my first day of freshman high school, I got put into a drafting class sort of by mistake. I wasn't supposed to be in it. I was attending that high school because it was going to be the computer academy. My parents wanted me to be a computer scientist like my brother was. And uh, and I got put into this drafting class and I just sort of fell in love with it. And for the you know next four years of high school, I took drafting classes. I learned how to draw an autocad at that point. And that's sort of when I knew that I was, I was graduating high school, I wanted to be an architect. You know, so I sort of jumped right into that right out of high school and, you know, took the five years. Um, at the end of the five years, I sort of had to make that decision of did I want to go get a master's in more design architecture or not and decided not to do that. But since I had been working in an architecture firm before that, I sort of knew already where I was going. It was sort of like predetermined, like the what's next. I was like, I'm going to go work for this firm that I've been working for part time. Um, yeah, and, I've, and I've, I'm still working in architecture. I'm working in architecture since. Um, yeah, so that's sort of where we all came from. I guess the, the question we can ask now is, knowing what we've gone through and where we've been, and you know, at the time when we graduated from, from design school, I guess, what would you, if today was your first day coming out of design school, what would you do next? 
Like, mm. what would what do you think about that? Knowing what I know now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I would do the... I would probably do the same thing um, in terms of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, once I'm, you know, like three, three years have gone by of me working in a firm, whether it's smaller or large firm, whichever, um, at that point I would try to do more public-based work mm-hmm. um, and really have a, a thorough understanding of the client, like really defining the client that I, that I, would pr- that I prefer to work with. Um, I think I, I overstayed my time in working in the private, for the private sector, and that, that really prevented me from looking at other things at a mar- uh, looking at other options within clientele and also just looking at the work that I was doing and the impact of it um, onto communities like that I, I waited too long on that so like that would be like what's next would be to either after working for you know three years and whatever firm hires me and learning the actual because uh, that's the other thing like you were going to school and and you guys will agree with this, going to school and actually working are two different things because you learn to apply everything that you've theorized. And um, and then you see the reality of it too, that you're not, you're not the designer or you, know, you, you learn your strengths mm-hmm. and your weaknesses in that process and things that you don't like or things that you do like. So yeah, that's what I would do. But um, for sure, like looking at the clientele would, that I want to work for is important. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ray? Mm. I mean, you've also diverted away from architecture, but uh, if you were just graduating today, what, what do you think you would do? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say because I never thought I'd be in the position I am now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I know everything that I know now, um, and, and I guess I left a few little details out when I was describing what happened um, because I was in the Army for a while. And when I got out, I had my... Uh, my GI Bill, but I was also, uh, I, I got injured, so I qualified for a VA program that was called Vocational Rehabilitation. And part of that, they give you quite a bit of, uh, quite a few exams, and one of the things that I qualified for, because they're not going to let you train in something that you are not qualified to do. So if you are not mechanically minded, guess what? You're not going to be an engineer. You know, they're not going to pay for that kind of education and you have no mechanical ability so the the testing that they give you is to help uh decide where they're going to put those dollars to best be suited for your abilities and which makes sense but one of the things i qualified for uh one was was architecture the other one was industrial designer Hmm. and in my mind i wanted to be an architect so that's what i was shooting for but I had no idea that that's I'd be doing industrial design for actual machines and industry mm-hmm. uh, now. So I ended up in this in that point anyway. So mm-hmm. knowing what I know now, I probably would have studied that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is you know knowing where I'm going to end up, and you you don't never know where you're going to end up. You know it's right. one of those kind of things. 
um, at least if you're fluid. Some people are very regimented and it says, well, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to study this and I'm going to be this and then I go move on and then I'm 60 and I'm 70 and then I'm going to retire. And and they follow that straight line. I, um, I've never been that that uh, rigid, always been fluid. Um, it's like the day I joined the army. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody that's what I was going to do. <laughs> I just went and did it. I went and did it. I, I reached the point where like, you know what? I can't work three jobs and go to school and maintain this. I just cannot do it anymore. I went and I joined the army, and it was funny because uh, my uh, I was gonna miss my uh, my uh, hours at work. So my recruiter called my boss and said, "Look, he's he's signing up for the army. He's gonna be a little bit late." <laughs> and my boss didn't believe it, so he called my mom because. Mm-hmm. Where I worked at the at the auto parts store was a block away from my mom's barbershop. <clears throat> and he used to get his hair cut there, so he knew her. He calls my mom and says, is this true? Is Ray really joining the Army? This recruiter called me. I think it's a joke. And she, and she said, no, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything. So when I show up, my mom asks me, what is this I hear about you joining the Army? That's not true, is it? I'm like, yeah, it's true. And she goes, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, I joined the Army. It's a done deal. It's done. Contract signed. <laughs> yeah. So I was 20 years old when I did that, and my mom was uh, crying and all that. I'm like, hey, it's my decision, and it's done. So the point is that uh, I've always been fluid, and, uh, you know, the idea of being in a straight-line regimented form might work for some, but I don't think I would be in the position I am today running a machine shop with all of that equipment, and every day is a new day designing some some machine or working on some components or uh, these damn spinners. We all know the story behind that. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't be here now if, right. if I hadn't been fluid. So I, I would, I would, if I were speaking to somebody like your friend, Claudia, mm-hmm. I would say, don't let yourself get locked into one thing, you know, study something. Yes. But keep your options open because you never know what opportunity might present itself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I, I've realized about myself over this, gosh, 17 years of working at, a, at different architecture firms, and uh, I, I, I feel like I'm lucky in that I've I've managed to stay a well-rounded architect, and I've managed to learn the difference. Somewhere. I haven't sort of nailed myself down to any one thing, but I, I think... You know, I was already working at a firm when I came out of school, and I knew, well, that's where I'm going to go again. And it's funny, because I remember having the discussion with my boss at the time about coming to work there full-time, and he said something to me that, at the time, I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. He's like, you know, well, this is what we can offer you to come work full-time. When you come work full-time, you could, you could shop us around. You know, you could see if somebody else will offer you more if you want, but I think we're pretty competitive or whatever. And at the time, I was thinking, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I want to come back to work here. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that I would do is I would spend a little more time. Something that I've, I've been doing more in the last few years is I would spend more time thinking about who I actually want to work for and what kind of work I wanted to be and be sort of more guided in those efforts than just sort of let things stake you the way they they happen to work out, you know, sometimes things just work out. I, I feel like they've worked out fairly well for me. Um, but when I look back at it, it's kind of by chance. 
you know, I worked at the first room I worked at and <clears throat> did the work I did because I opened up the yellow pages back in the day <laughs> and I looked up what architecture firms were in the company and I was like, this one first. And I called that. They're like, yeah, we're looking for an intern. I went in for an interview and that's where I started working. It wasn't really fully thought out. It wasn't like, who do I really want to work for, you know? Yeah. And but, Go ahead. No, but I, I think that when you're young and inexperienced, you don't really... You can't really make that choice that you can once you do have that experience in education. Yeah, but I think now more than ever, you can look at the world. I mean, you know, I think when we were graduating, you yeah, you could do Google searches and stuff and you wouldn't find as many resources. But I think nowadays, you can find people talking about what kind of work they're doing or why they're doing the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at those things and... and are open to those things, you can find out some stuff by yourself. Yeah. And I think that's part of what, if you're going to make a decision of I'm going to go this way, then it should be an educated decision. You should spend some time thinking about it. Um, so I would say that we're old. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly. <laughs> the reason why I, would, why I would say that is that I, like, in talking to, you know, like, to, to these younger people who ask me those questions and, and I appreciate that because, you know, it's like, at least, they, you know, they're asking, which is really important. I think this particular generation, millennials right now, people who are graduating right now from college with an architecture degree, I think that because of the digitized world and era that we live in now, that wasn't around when we graduated. Right. In, in all honesty, I mean, you know, like, what were you saying, like, earlier today that, you know, like, in, in our phones, we couldn't see video or something like that? Or, yeah, I think we were talking about, but I, yeah. You know, I, we, we, you know we didn't have that. Like, we right. had phones, we had cell phones, but, no, you know, you didn't know have those accessibilities. Right, we were watching, we saw a commercial of two people that were supposed to be dating, and the guy was watching a game on his phone, and I said, that's, that, that's not a thing. And <laughs> yeah, a football game, right? right yeah. We're watching a football game during the middle of the day. I'm like, yeah, that's not like something when we were dating, we, that I, wasn't I, a I thing. I couldn't have done that. Even if I wanted to do that, I couldn't have done that. And so I'm sure there were many times that you could have, exactly. That, that's why I was like, whoa, <laughs> I got lucky, I guess. <laughs> but like looking at this at the article, I mean, that's exactly what, what, what this, um, what Ken Carbon is, the, the author is saying, is like, he's pointing that out that. In this day and age of digital, of this digital accessibility, I feel like college graduates feel like they can do everything. Mm-hmm. They can get their hands on anything. Like they, you know, they come out and they're like, "Oh, I'm a graphic designer, and I can oh, easily yeah. do this, and I can easily <laughs> do that. Uh, I, I'm an industrial engineer, you know, like I can do that like right away." And then they start working, and then they they have to produce. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's the key. Whether you do it on your own as a as a independent entrepreneur, like a graphic designer or whatever, or an architect, um, on your own or within a firm, you have to produce, and something results have to come out of that. And because you think you know it all, because you think things are so easy and reachable and digitized, you realize really quick that you're not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the case even when we were going to school. Yes, but I think it was slower. Like now, it's much quicker. So I think that people, I think that flexibility that Ray is talking about is really important because now you're seeing that that people like younger millennials are very flexible. But, you know, this is not a, I think architecture and design is about passion. It's about being good at something. 
is about being able to produce and it's about like like you know like what you do like Jose like you love do, doing what you do it's that passionate side then you know like that encourage you to get up the next day and continue doing that in every other form like whether you're doing it in 3d printing or you're doing it uh, on a building what ray does i mean so even more amazing and then also the technical aspects of it right you need to have the technical chops for it so i think that yeah like if, if it were now i think that would be the hardest thing that i would have to deal with with the fact that i i have access to so much so therefore i think i know it all <laughs> And then uh -huh. slap myself in the yeah. head and be like, nope. But you know what? You you bring up an, an interesting an interesting point here that is is a little bit of a tangent. Uh, you know, as running as part of running the business, I interview a lot of people, and I interview people in different different levels uh, in their life, both um, in as far as time, you know, their age and experience. And when I interview people who are much older, who have a lot of experience, they come across completely differently than if somebody, because I've interviewed people who are just getting ready to graduate high school, or maybe they have a year of community college under their belts. And the, I don't know if the proper word is attitude or maybe their disposition, I think that might be a better way to describe it, is drastically different. So somebody who comes in with a ton of experience uh, and, you know, experience comes with time, obviously. They have a tendency to, when you, when you ask them questions, and I give them a tour of the shop, and I say, what do you think about this? And here's what, how we do these things. They go, oh, yeah, I, yep, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. Oh, I've never done that before, but I'm willing to learn. You know, I've never seen this kind of machine, but it looks straightforward. I think I can handle that with some training. When I do the same exact thing with a younger person, they're like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. No, yeah, I could do that, but I don't really want to. I, I, honestly, believe it or not, in an interview, they have said those things to me. And when they, they come across that way, I'm like, you know what? This is not, a place, this is not the place for you. Uh, because it, it becomes very clear. Um, and, and I've had, that's not to say that I haven't had people who came in and they were young and they said, look, I have zero experience. I don't know anything about this, but I want to learn. I've had those guys too. And I've honestly said, you know, I'd love to hire you, but you have zero knowledge, zero experience. I, I cannot afford to hire you uh, because you, you're going to destroy more than you're going to produce. <laughs> you know? Right. And so on, on two separate occasions, this, uh, this has happened on two separate occasions. I said, look, this is what I want to do. I really want to do this. And thinking about it now, I remember that, that scene in Fight Club where the guy comes uh, knocking on the door and says, I want to be part of the group. And they said, no, get away from here. Mm -hmm. No, we can't use you. No, and he stands there, right? Stands at the, right, and at the door. Right, it's a test. You have, it's a you test, have to wait yeah. for like three days or something. <laughs> right. So yeah. um, I wasn't, maybe it was a subconscious thing. I said, well, you know, come back tomorrow. And if they showed up the mm -hmm. next day, I'm like, here's the thing. I can't afford to hire you, but if you want to learn and train, I'll, I'll let you work as an assistant to somebody else at no pay to get you up to a point where I can finally hire you. And on two separate occasions, that happened. Um, and, and, it, and they weren't there very long, maybe about a month or so, because they wanted it that much. And those were probably the best workers, the best employees, the most... Um, absorbent. I mean, they absorbed 
all the, the information that we gave them. So much so that both of them went on and moved on to other places and they're both managing shops right now. Wow. So, it, you know, uh, college is, is useful and I would suggest that everybody get an education, but education comes in many forms. But you gotta want it. You really yeah, gotta want it. I, I agree. I mean, I think there's a certain level of hunger that you have to have in order to yeah. succeed in certain fields. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically design making type field definitely calls for that. Yeah, absolutely. But you have to have a hunger of learning new things, of knowing that you just don't know it all, and you're always going to be learning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think as, yeah, I'm trying to think what what the the next step in this conversation could be. (laughs) Well, I mean, based on what Ray said, like the, this idea of, of the value of design too is important Mm because I I think one of the things that I keep hearing, and this is not, this is from graphic designer friends of mine who actually I've met at, at the, at these architecture firms and again, going back to the to the article, like you know, my my path was not of going on my own, quick. Uh, it was more of working under someone and mm-hmm. working under large firms. So in those large firms, there were like this um, in-house designer groups, right? And there were graphic designers. And because of the work, because I wasn't doing solely architectural work, I was able to work with branding and marketing and graphic designers a lot more closer, um, and even engineers as well. Uh, site engineers and civil engineers, but what was really interesting from the designers and what I've what I keep hearing from some of my friends that um, are no longer working for these firms. Actually, this friend of mine, um, who um, he's he went back to school to get his master's his MFA, and is now teaching graphic design. Um, one of the things he's a big proponent of um, Greg. He's a really big proponent of uh, paying your interns, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that graphic designers or the, in the graphic design industry. Uh, you, in, interns don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the architecture field, interns do get paid. Like mm-hmm. that's almost like by law. It's, it's a regulation. Well, it's uh, it's an AIA thing. It's an AIA thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So there is this really cool benefit of being an apprentice and being paid for mm-hmm. being an apprentice, right? Because you can you put value in that. You take it a little more serious because people are paying you for this, and I think that makes a big difference with millennials nowadays, um, because they 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 feel that they can get their education, their their apprentice apprenticeship, in any other way after they graduate from college, but yeah, and that you know people are gonna abuse that, abuse them for that for that matter. So then they want to take a hold of their path a lot. But like quicker, um, but in architecture, because you get paid as an intern, you develop like a little bit more respect and value for 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 the work for the profession, and I think that's really important to to note. And that's why like I I usually tell um, college grad college uh, students or you know people in, in community colleges, hey, the good thing about architecture is that you do get paid as an intern, that that's something you can ask for, and and that makes a difference, I think. Um, I think the other thing I would say to anybody that is graduating with a design degree, whether it's architecture or um, fashion design, whatever it might be, I think surround yourself with people that are not just in your field. Um, 
I think one of the things that I did for a long time is like all of my friends were architects and and it sort of closes you off from other experiences mm -hmm. and other things that help you in your work down the road. Yeah. yeah, I think that's key. There was a time that Jose and I, because you know we're a couple and we were both in the architecture world here in in DC. I mean, all of our friends were architects, right? They, they were either from my firm or your firm, right. and I, like I think it was one like one one winter like after New Year's, it just it dawned on me. I was like, I need to stop this, right. and I literally cold cold cut like that's it. We're not going to be friends with people that, with with architecture friends anymore. And I know for me it's been it's been great. Yeah. Um, let me see what else. I mean, I like I think that like you know in the, in the article, the way that it ends, it's it's kind of interesting because he he ends it in like what he usually advises students, right? And mm -hmm. he's like three basic principles that I advise: be smart, work hard, have fun. And I have a problem with the first one. I, I, I agree, you have to work hard and you do have to have fun. Be creative mm -hmm. too, is what I add, what I, what I equate to fun. Mm -hmm. But the be smart one, um, because I was chasing architecture because of money, I couldn't reach it. Mm -hmm. um, it made me question how smart I was. If, if I was, if I had the capacity to be a designer, if I had the capacity to be um, an architect and to be paid to draw mm -hmm. even to that degree right I mean and my brain capacity was oh and even as a woman it's even worse um, <laughs> I'm, I am glad you kind of you kind of quantified that I, I like that <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse that's yeah. serious I mean because this is a it's a male's world and it's it was hard like to like you know when when the, there's this assumption that you have to be like math smart and you have to be like technical smart and I don't think you, I, I think being smart is important. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's a quality. It's just, you know, cool, for, good for you if you're smart. Mm -hmm. But be passionate. It's more important. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the ideas out there is because it's a design field, most people think you either have the talent or you don't. And, you know, I don't believe that. I think the design and learning a little, you can learn this and, if you do it enough and you live in it, you can get better at it and you will get better at it. Um, you know, and it's funny, I heard the story once, it, like everybody knows like the most famous pilot in the world or in history, I guess you could say it was Emily Earhart, right? Um, but I, I read that she wasn't a naturally great pilot. Like she had to work hard at it. She had to learn a lot. And she had to like spend a lot of time getting better at it. And she, she you know, she's sort of the, most famous pilot in history at this point. It, it's that kind of thing. Don't let other people tell you you're either good at it or you don't, or you're not. You yeah. can learn these things. And a lot of people will tell you that. Yeah. Right. And you know a what? Lot. You bring up a, a good point. Um, I think about six, seven, maybe eight years ago, uh, Scientific American did an article on this exact thing, on what it takes to become an expert. Right. And basically, uh, and it's an interesting article, and I don't remember it verbatim because it was a while ago, um, but basically the answer to how to become an expert in anything is you got to put in 10 solid years of experience. You put in 10 solid years of experience, and, and that, as a minimum, that is what makes you an expert. So 
you can learn, and I agree. I, I think that when I when I got into design school, I didn't know anything about design. I fancy I, I had designed and made a lot of furniture, and I fancied myself. Oh yeah, this is going to be interesting. No, 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 no. I, I think that a lot of the design principles uh, that you learn in architecture school are are uh, very valuable. And I don't know if you would have the same experience outside the classroom. Um, you know, I. Uh, you can learn these things, but I, I, for me personally, and that's just my way of learning, I think that the classroom is a very valuable experience uh, because now I'm sure you guys are familiar with the whole online learning and the whole yeah. online colleges. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm old and I have an old-fashioned way of thinking, but I think that the, the value of the classroom, particularly for design, cannot be replaced by an online class. Yeah, and I don't know that there are a lot of design programs for that kind of thing. I, I feel like they're mostly business-related or things like that. Um, but, I mean, yes, and I mean, I, I spend a, a quite a bit of time with people that are in photography, for example, and that's not necessarily a design field, but it is a visual arts field. And a lot of, a lot of people in that don't go to school for it. Um, I think, I think it, it, that's very dependent on the kind of... the, the what's what how you learn you know yeah i think a lot of people need the structure of like, you know here's an assignment and do this this week and do that next week and and you can learn that way i think other people can learn by by working with somebody that knows how to do it um so yeah i mean depending on the field you're not going to be able to do something like you can't be an architect if you don't go to a to an architecture school unfortunately. yeah that's just the way it is but you know um the boston school of architecture has a master's program and the only reason I even am aware of it is where I used to work. Uh, one of my colleagues there uh, got her master's this way. And I think it's she... It's, it is online. I think they had three physical classes, two or three physical classes per semester. So she had to go up there for those right. one or two days of actual physical classes. And everything else was online, which I thought I'm was very weird. I'm surprised that's accredited. Yeah, I, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and and the probably the in class stuff was mm -hmm. in order to be accredited, right? Because uh, and she had some projects that she did, but it was all pretty much online, I, and mm -hmm. I thought it was very weird. The only one yeah. I've ever, the only program like that I've ever heard of for architecture. Yeah, and, yeah. and that has to do with the digitized world, yeah. right? Because I mean, nowadays it's easier to have that. For maybe for but that's that really applies to anything you know you couldn't have a, an accounting online class before either. Yeah, I mean, because I I taught um, like GIS online, and I and I also went to a class mm -hmm. that was full on like you know one one on one. So yeah, like the you you need to have that interaction even even with software, even if it's just a CAD class or like a studio based on, you know, showing your work online and showing whatever you're doing, doing videos of your work or whatever, because you could do that, right? You could show models even mm -hmm. through video nowadays. Well, and I mean, people aren't making models. Well, actually, no. Um, like, so Aaron, this friend of mine who's going to school uh, at a community college, he's, he's he was doing models. And it was so great to see his, his Facebook post of saying, like, hey, this professor just ripped... My model apart, he did, like that literally, right? But he was like, <laughs> which I it, that's happened before, you know. That's why I was like, oh, whoa, did he actually do it? I mean, mm -hmm. look at the pictures. Um, yeah. But but you know, like learning how to take um, 
crit, uh, criticism mm -hmm. is such an important thing that you learn from architecture school that not other other professions mm -hmm. don't give you that that ability. Yeah. And you know he he worked through it, and you know like he, he, I was so happy that he put it on Facebook, and you know like and people are very supportive of him. Um, but you know he moved on from that. You know he moved on from that class, and he did great. And then you know he's going to the next class, and he's doing more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's I mean I think that's another that's key is you got to realize that it's not personal, right? If somebody tells you you didn't do a good job at this or this isn't right or this isn't what I wanted, it's not personal. Oh, of course it, not. Yeah, it's, it's business. It's what they're what they're trying to get accomplished as well, or yeah, what they want you to accomplish. Yeah. You know, um, you yeah. gotta sort of put that away. There's yeah, extremes. And, and also yeah. in that, you know, that critique period, it's it's always hard to see your professors as very very experienced professionals. I mean, most of those, with the exception mm -hmm. of very few, had their own practice um, and had their own practice for years, and they, you know, they're licensed and they've been practicing. So it's not just like the professor in. Uh, you know, humanities. This is somebody, accounting, who, yeah. or accounting, yeah. Somebody who actually did the job. So when they said, yeah, you have a problem here, it's a very serious thing. So it's, and it's very, especially for young people, it's easy to dismiss that professor because you don't know their experience. But trust me, they would not be in that position without the experience. Um, and because you, I'm sure you guys remember people uh, crying after a critique. I, I remember people crying during the critique. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you crying about? This is nothing. And of course, at, at that time, I was, you know, only a couple years out of the army. I'm like, well, this is, are you, this is stressing you out. This is, you call this stressful? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> what are you stressing about, you? Yeah, and no, that's the part where like working at a firm helped me. Then worked at a firm where one day the partners were yelling at each other all of a sudden and like screaming, and you know, like five minutes later, they were going to go get lunch together. Yeah, because it, was, it just wasn't personal to them. No, of they course were not. Just passionate about what they, yeah. what the design of this building needed to be, or how they felt about it. And yeah. and we have to remember that. Uh, so unlike so, uh, you know, the article doesn't necessarily spe specify architecture or yeah. looks at the design aspect of architecture, but there's a public safety <laughs> aspect of architecture, right? You're building something that people are going to live in. So there's all of these regulations that you have to follow, mm -hmm. and all of these, um, yeah. Uh, review processes that you have to go through, that your work has to go through. And it's a team, it's a team effort because it's really hard to do that. The larger scale projects, you're not going to be able to do on your own. You're going to have to get help from other people. You're going to have to work with teams. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing because you, you do learn all of that. I don't, I don't necessarily think you learn teamwork as much in, in architecture school. As much as you experience it when you're, when you're actually doing working in a firm. Yeah, I mean, I would say because it's there are very. I mean, I I'm trying to think back. I, I don't. I can't remember a single group project to be honest with you. Um, I can remember uh, one. Yeah. Was a site model. We did a site model yeah. as a group, and then everybody worked on their design to plug into the site model. Into the site. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yeah, I remember those sort of things, but I, I remember it more as like sort of being a collaborative. Okay, that way we can all use this site model. But exactly. It wasn't, necessarily like uh let's really learn to work together in a design sort of way let's put together like, a yeah, BIM model like construction documents all, together. or let's all put our input together on this design 
that yeah. just, that didn't happen. It was like this is your, and I think that's sort of what feeds a little bit into this idea of people coming out of school thinking I'm going to be the designer and I don't have to do this. And then when they put you to do, you know, bathroom elevations at a firm, you're, you're yeah. like, well, what is this? Or roof details. Right. Yeah. Or they'll pinpoint the one the one person who knows, you know, like a specific software. And they're like, oh, great. This is going to be the guy because he's mm-hmm. the cool, smart, new graduate. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we're going to put him to work on the, on, the, on the cool projects, you know. And then that's the message, like singling out people. Yeah. I've seen that very much and that I, I think that that would be this would be like my last contribution to this conversation i mean it, it's uh ego in in design is it's also important to understand to have a balance of it to be mindful of 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 that of what it is to have your you know that passion that you have for your work or for your design work mm-hmm. to really quickly become into an an ego driver um, and that's I've seen that a lot. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the the part of that because that's something that I've struggled with myself is that I think you need to well you need to be passionate about what you do when it comes to your design field. Um, you also need to remember that it is also just what you do. It's not it doesn't define who you are as a person. It doesn't have to anyways. So you know keep that in mind as you move through this it's it doesn't all have to end there you know so yeah cool any other closing thoughts before we move on no i think we beat this horse to death (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah and uh you know i think anybody that's just graduated i think you know best of luck it's stuff out there but you know it can be a lot of fun and, and you can succeed if you stay open to it. Like I think like Ray said, you know, stay open to opportunities and to other things. Mm-hmm. So. All right, let's go to the product of the week. All right, let's get to the product of the week. Um, as always, we're not generally affiliated with the product of the week. Um, this week, our product of the week comes to us from Indiegogo, and it's called the Chisel, which is a small sculpting surface. Uh, what do you guys think about this product? Uh, Ray, why don't you go first? Oh, boy. I'm going to go to first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't want my thoughts on this one, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll start. I mean, in, in, in this particular um, episode, we discuss a lot about, like, uh, the digital access and what what that means to mm. become like become a professional or an expert at something and you know like this is one of those product one of those products that you know for anyone looking to become a, an, a sculptor here is chisel you can do this in a heartbeat and you will learn how to be you know be the expert sculptor that you mm-hmm. that you always knew you were type of thing mm-hmm. because you're able to do it in no time yeah. um <laughs> yeah so it's 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 funny. It's I think it's interesting. Um, I think a specific age. I I don't understand. I don't know if, if if there is a specific age that they suggest this for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming they're because it's because of its cost and you know there's a kit or whatever uh, a starter pack. You 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 would assume it's for adults, but 
I could almost see this being used for a class, for like, you know, a teacher, an art teacher or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically this small little platform. Uh, it's a sculpting for surface that has different cameras. And um, you can chisel clay, like you can have it, you can put a clay block and start chiseling in the middle. And then you could see it through in your computer as you're going along and it teaches you how to sculpt it in a better way. Or if you're an expert sculptor, you can quickly put your own project on a screen or digitize it right away. Mm -hmm. So those are the benefits of it, I think. There's a specific software to this as well. Yep. So yeah, um, yeah, right away, become a sculptor. Become a Yay. sculptor, so you like it? <laughs> it is, you're all about this? Uh, I, for a for a teacher, maybe that's a help. For a teacher, okay. For a teacher. What about you, Ray? What do you think? Hmm. <laughs> so I, I I thought that Claudia was gonna go a certain route with this, and that's <laughs> that's the image I had in my head because mm -hmm. from what I the way I look at this is like um, like some like a like an old fashioned salesman. Like, mm -hmm. look at here, look what I got right here. Learn to make <laughs> one art. You're gonna make an art in five minutes. You know. That kind of thing. Because that's... <laughs> uh, you get some clay and you chisel it and now you got one art. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> that's how I see this thing because it, it kind of minimizes the the uh, idea. You know, uh, when, you're, when you're creating something, you have the seed of an idea or, or a concept or you are inspired, right? So with this is is and to sum it up quickly is like the black velvet paintings of paint by number elvis um <laughs> is how i would describe this because you know it has a you have to have a laptop and you have to have this thing and it superimposes an image and you are trying to sculpt around this image and it's keeping track of what you're doing so you can kind of create a reproduction of something else so for me, it's missing the art. With, with, with this, I don't, know if, I don't know if it actually teaches anything or if it's just another little gizmo on your, on your desktop. Um, because I think that you'll get much more out of, uh, you know, going to the, the local community center and, and taking a, a sculpture class, you know, and looking at other forms and learning how to manipulate materials than this thing can give you. And apparently, I'm not the only one. Did you did you realize that this is closed now? Uh, I hadn't looked at it. I yep. put it on there like a it while ago. I hadn't looked at it. Yep, it's, I, I, and I just noticed that it's closed, and it's reached 15% of the goal, and it got closed. Hmm. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. I think one of the things that you said there was, was what's key to me. Because I'll be honest with you. When I, first, when I put this on here, yeah. when I first saw it, I thought it was actually some kind of camera. Um, uh huh. Oh. Hold on. So when I first saw this, I thought it was actually like some kind of camera, like one of those 360 cameras. Yes. That as you were creating your sculpture, it would record what you were doing. Okay, that's and interesting. You, you could put this sort of image or switching views or whatever, or even this 3D model being formed as you're sculpting into your computer, and then you could 3D printer, you could make a bunch of them. Or you could even show sort of the process of, a, of, of the sculpture happening from a 360-degree view. 
Yeah. Um, that's what I first thought it was when I saw it. Turned out it's not that. I think it's a way for somebody to not go to a class and learn how to sculpt. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you know, just go to a community college. I took I took a sculpting class in, in the community college when yeah. I was in school. Wow. Um, so this is for like shut-ins or something that don't want to leave and that they, they can learn from a piece of software. Mm-hmm. If it could really teach you. Um, so I didn't necessarily like it. But it, it is interesting in the point of... There aren't a lot of tools out there that necessarily teach you how to do art this way. And I guess the question is whether there's merit that there's merit to that or not. I, I, I and I guess I never looked at the paint by numbers as actually teaching you how to paint. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I always saw it more as like it's like a Sudoku, it's like a time uh, yep, yep. thing to pass time. So when I saw this and I, I, I realized what it really was, it got me thinking, like, are there a lot of tools like this that teach you how to either draw or paint or sculpt without you having to go to a class? Now, this is extreme because it's an expensive platform to learn how to do something. You could probably pay that for one class at the community college, like I said. Um, but are there a lot of these kind of products to learn how to do art at your house, and if maybe there aren't any because there's no market for it, I don't know. Yeah, but but then that's the thing though. To me, this your product ceases to become art. Right. Well, but I mean, it's a teaching tool, right? So like, yeah. when you know, I'm trying to think of the the appropriate thing. I know when you go take a watercolor class, they tell you, oh, we'll do clouds. We'll teach you how to do clouds. Now, it's not necessarily art, as much as it teaching you how to do specific things, so then later down the road, you can actually do your own that is an actual piece of art. Mm-hmm. Like, the first thing you're going to do is not going to be art, because it's going to be the standard thing that they're teaching you, I guess. Yeah. But, but I mean, can it even teach you how to really do art? I don't know. Yeah, I see, for that, for me, I think it's you have to be inspired. I mean, some of the, some of the most fantastic artists have been self-taught. So right. they had this innate ability and in, in inspiration maybe they didn't have the technical ability to learn the technical aspect mm-hmm. but um and that's what this is this is basically a a technical thing you know this is how right. you make this form i'm not sure if it actually because it, the video and the description doesn't really tell you if it teaches concepts you don't know if it's teaching concepts so, I would imagine it's not. I would imagine just telling you, you scrape this way to get to this shape. Exactly. And the idea being that if you learn those sort of passes, then down the road, you can then say, okay, now I have the inspiration. I want to design, you know, kittens with dragon heads. That's going to be my thing. And, but now since you know how to do the passes, you can at least do that. Yeah. Um, but what other, what other things out there is like that? So one of the, a couple of things about this, that I, I looked at other places since it was closed, like if they have a Facebook page, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're definitely looking uh, at this as a three D, as a as a three D scanner, more than like there's different uses for this. So if you, you know if you scan a three D object, mm-hmm. then you can try to sculpt it. So you're using the platform as a three D scanner. Right. Um, so you have to sculpt it, and then it scans what you sculpt. Or the other way around, or like you can. So it says like um, you can also load a three D object and also be loaded on the computer in order to provide a guideline and, and to what to you would sculpt, sculpt based that, that based on that. Right. Right. So 
what the people who are and the price is ninety nine dollars right for their mm -hmm. for the for the table itself because that's the main thing it's just the table um, and yeah so where they're getting a lot of traction from aside from the Indiegogo when not receiving full their funding is from three D printing groups or that three D printing industry because you can actually scan with it. scan something and then sculpt it your way so you can three D print something. No, no, no. The, no, the way that you works would, is you have an item that you want to be able to 3D print, you put it in the middle of this platform, it scans it, and then you can make as many 3D prints as you want. Oh, that. That's how they work. So you right? could do multiple ways. You could also, like, 3D print something, scan it, and then sculpt it. <laughs> why would you need to do that? This is the confusion, right? <laughs> no, no, but, I mean, you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even need an extra step. If, you can, if, you, if you've got the model to 3D printed, you can just load the model into the machine, and then you could sculpt it directly there. But, you know, I mean, I guess it's so you don't use a 3D printer and you learn how to sculpt again. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's a $99 is a pretty inexpensive scanner. Yeah. But even as a scanner, I mean, like you can. There's other ways to get. Who knows how good a resolution it is? But I mean, you can go buy an Xbox 360 Connect and and rig it up so you can use it as a scanner. Like you don't need to spend a hundred bucks on that. Um, I think to me it would have been cooler if you already know how to sculpt. You buy this thing, you put your piece of clay in the middle, and as you're sculpting, this thing is scanning. So then you can actually watch a 3D, 360 view of the sculpture taking place. Yeah. Like, that would be awesome. Yeah. You know? So, one last thing to, to end this with Ray's awesome, like, old-timey old <laughs> cell. Right. Did you like that? Yeah, I really like that, Ray. You needed to add at the end, and you can share this on. You can share yeah. your sculpture yeah. on Facebook and into all. You can yeah. already do that. You don't need the platform. Exactly. That's why they're yeah. saying like this is one of the yeah. things that they're also saying. That's the, one of their biggest bullet points. Yeah, you can share this online and get through your, through gifts and all this other stuff. Like, uh, I think the the idea of this to me is: Does this actually teach you how to become a sculptor? I don't know the answer to that. But are there any other things that actually do, like, you know, Bob Ross, everyone knows who that is. Yeah, of course. Was watching, you know, he clearly was painting on his show and telling you how he's doing it. But would you really learn to paint by watching his show? Happy, like, happy clouds. Then, <laughs> right. Could you then pick up a brush and do the same thing he, he did? Probably not right off the bat, but where are you learning? I don't know. I, I would assume if we talk to people... Older people, <laughs> they will tell you, yeah, they learned. I don't know. I wonder how many people. I wonder how many people literally picked up a brush and learned to do the same things he was doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's an mm -hmm. interesting comparison, though. I appreciated that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's go to our last segment, which is what we're working on. All right, so over to our last segment, which is what are we working on? Uh, so what's everybody working on? Ray, why don't you go first? Well, um, I'm actually working on relaxing, believe it or not. Yay! No, that's not true. What? <laughs> I, I know you're, you're working on getting some cats fixed. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, my wife decided to volunteer as a foster yeah. cat person for a mom with six kittens. That, that, so all we, that makes it sound like you performed the, the surgery yourself or something. Yeah, well, well, the thing is, 
uh, she had asked me about it before, and I'm like, you don't want to do this. I'm like, you don't want to do this. She goes, but you like kittens. I go, yeah, I like kittens, but I don't want six of them running around here. Mm-hmm. And um, so after, I think they've been here two months now, she she has decided that she doesn't want to do this for, <laughs> again, at least not for a while. No, it's... I mean, I like I like kittens. They're fun, but six of them and their mom, and we got our own cats. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as what I'm working on, I, I I know you saw some of the pictures of that table. Yep. That I built. Mm-hmm. So I um I'm putting I'm editing the video to get that put uh, put on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And recently, I was asked by another YouTuber to sponsor his uh, skull challenge. I don't know if you saw I that did video. See that video. Yep. So, yeah, he asked me to sponsor his skull challenge with one of my gear spinners. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's a, It has nothing to do with skulls. Let me make you a custom one mm-hmm. with a skull to go with the go with the uh, skull challenge. Right. So, nice. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I put... It's a cool video. It's, the, sorry, it's the skull that you've used on the, on the wheels, right? Yep, it's yeah. the same one I've used on the wheels. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's pretty cool. Yep. And I also saw his video for the the challenge, which is is basically just make anything as far as, as long as it's a skull. Yep, as long as it's new and it's a skull. Right. He doesn't want you using something old. Right. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Claudia? What have you been working on? So a couple of updates. I mean, I think last time we talked about um, the comprehensive plan amendments that I mm-hmm. was writing with a team, and we submitted over 200 amendments as a community, which is really cool. Um, So now the next step for that is to continue this grassroots coalition on comprehensive plan amendments. Um, But actually, yesterday I was looking at, um, and I just need to get more time into this, but a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> you guys are probably like, "What? Seriously, you want to do a Kickstarter campaign?" And I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. contemplating that idea. Mm-hmm. So um, there was this new, um, not a new article, but a report, a recent report uh, by the Pew Charitable, uh, the Pew Center, um, which is basically like a think tank about um, public, public or crowdfunded. Uh, news or news media, uh, and how nonprofit organizations can can use crowdfunding to start, and not just uh, nonprofit organizations, but also just groups like regular civic groups, if they want to start their own uh, blog, like news media blog, online media blog, because you need funding for that. Because you need to hire editors, you need to hire the platform, you need to hire a lot of. You just need funding. You need to pay writers too. Mm-hmm. So um, apparently, you, you know, Indiegogo and Kickstarter are a great place for that. Yeah. Um, so I was like, whoa. So and and this particular um, report is very thorough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a couple of I'm gonna pitch this to some of my friends. And I would tell you guys to go with Indiegogo or GoFundMe rather than Kickstarter because Kickstarter you gotta get the full amount or you don't get any. Oh, really? In the Google and uh, GoFundMe, you can get partial amounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I think it's like uh, I think it will be a really interesting process to, to pitch it first because mm-hmm. we have this idea of, of what we want to do, uh, and then we want to pitch it to major um, 
uh, industry. I guess it's not an industry. It's it's like such a weird independent news Media. venue platforms that are out there, like Truth Out, The Root. I mean, there's plenty of them. There's so we want to also pitch it to them. So we'll see. But cool. that's that's an interesting thing because we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and uh, you were also on a radio show. Ah, oh, that's right. I was for a friend of mine. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ricardo. Um, yeah, he has a radio show, um, a local Spanish radio show, and we talked about. Um, he invited me to it because it's really cool because it's all in Spanish, and Jose came with me to the to the studio to the studio, and there are a couple of these type of studio like radio local radio based um, shows in the in the in the area that I've been invited to to speak as an expert on urban planning issues. Uh, in this particular one, we're really trying to address issues within the Latino community, so it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to see how it works. <laughs> yeah, you got to check out the studio and how everything works there, which is pretty We cool. got some ideas, too, from mm-hmm. that as well, for this podcast, maybe. Yeah, cool. Uh, for myself, I... Ray, are you still there? Are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. I can hear you. You were frozen for like. I'll cut this out. Um, yeah, so for myself, I just put out a video of a... I made a spinner. So I made a spinner out of a sort of a scrap metal part. I 3D printed some parts to attach to it to make it into the spinner. And I just put out that video. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I put it out Monday, Tuesday. I don't remember now. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. one of the two. Yeah, so I put that on and I ended up making it uh, sort of like a Deadpool type spinner. It had this logo on it or whatever. Um, so it's fun, and uh, I'm working on another, another spinners, a very, uh, something like a prop. So like, a, it, yeah, I'll save it. But but yeah, I'm working on another one as well, and uh, yeah, and then I've been putting together, you you know this right, the 3D metal kits. That, remember I put the R2D2 one you know, a few months back, and I, I think you have one for was it Doctor Who maybe? I don't remember. But it's those uh, metal kits that you sort of you you cut out of the sheet of metal and you gotta fold the pieces together and end up being a shape. So I've been putting a few of those yeah. together because I, I had I had a bunch of them. I hope you've been I hope you've been shredding them. <laughs> I, I they're a, they're a nightmare. They are. I, I've put so I put three of them together the last couple of days, and one of them was really easy. The <laughs> other one cut me. Yeah, I ended up getting a cut right on my finger, and uh, it shows in the. Yeah. If I was recording, it shows in the video. All of a sudden, like my hands disappear, and there's just blood. Uh, there's a lot of blood. It wasn't that bad, but yeah, so I did a few of those, and I'll put that up at some point. But yeah, so I've been working on some of that stuff and some architecture stuff as well. That I, I have some personal projects that I have. So. Busy. Yeah, I've been a little busy. So yeah. So that's good. the end of the show. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? Um, they can find me at thecityecologist.com. Actually, I've been working on my website, too. That's right. Yep, and uh, I started blogging as well. So, yeah, I just put up a new research project there. So thecityecologist.com or at cityecologist uh, on Twitter. Cool. Cool. Right. Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, uh, Ray Pena. You'll, it'll be the first one that comes up. Uh, on Facebook, you can find me on the Homemade Lathe uh, group. And um, 
you I have an Instagram account where I show off the uh, the gear spinners I make called uh, Real Gear Spinners. Yep, very cool. And uh, you can find me with uh, if you search for City Aperture pretty much on anything. That'll be me. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram even. Yeah. IG. Cool. So yeah, that's the show. Next week, Claudia is going to do a report. Yes. That's, we've been waiting for that. Yeah. So we'll, see. we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I look forward to it because I don't have to do anything for those. So. You guys are going to enjoy it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the show. Well, you sold it pretty good, so I'm expecting a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. any, any other teaser for it or no? You're... It's a natural fiber. <laughs> so it's cotton. Just going to yeah. talk about cotton shirts. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Yes. Cool. Bye. Bye. Bye.